MSW Media. How's it? It's Neil Everett from ESPN. You're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And what we're not drinking is White Claw, no matter what you may have heard. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. This is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I choose those uh, promos to play at the top, I always rem- like when I'm going through to pick the promos, I always kick myself in the ass that I don't get more of them when I have guests. I always forget. I should be getting every guest that comes on here to cut one of those promos. But I have some good ones. And one of the ones I have is actually an old one that I was going to do today. But it it just reminds me of how much the world has changed. Because the promo talks about going out to bars and restaurants and having a good time. And it features my buddy Kurt Russell. Here it is. I probably know more about drinking than you do. But at the same time, I don't mind hanging out with you. You know, you can call me up. I'm Dan Dunn. I drink for a living. I'm going to be hanging out at bars and events all over the world talking about one of the coolest things in the world. Dan Dunn's happy hour. Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's happy hour. Please send help. I'm not hanging out at bars and events anywhere. What happened? Damn COVID. Anyway, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Got a busy packed show today. I got some new products to tell you about. I'm going to save those for towards the end of the show. Some stuff that you should be drinking, that you should hear about on what we're drinking. I'm actually supposed to be, speaking of going out, I'm supposed to be in Las Vegas this week. I looked at the calendar. I kept all of my, all of my engagements, I kept them on my calendar. Torture myself, maybe. Blind hope that maybe they would be rescheduled or they would happen. I don't know. They're just on there. Turns out I was supposed to be emceeing an event in Vegas this week. I am not in Vegas this week. So I decided instead I'll tell you a story. A Vegas story. One of my favorite Vegas stories. We all have. Anybody that's ever been to Las Vegas has a Vegas story. This is one of my favorites. I actually put it in my book, Living Loaded. So I'm going to recount that story for you uh, in just a little bit. I want to let you know that I do these live streams every week called Nightcap Live. I do them for Flaviar, which is a quarterly membership service. We have celebrities on every week. It's, as the name implies, it is live. It's a live stream. The next one is going to be Thursday, July 9th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. On Flaviar's YouTube channel, my guest will be million-dollar listing star Tracy Tudor. Very excited for that. Even though I've never watched Million Dollar Listing, I don't know who Tracy Tudor is. I'm just excited because I'm get to, I get to talk to somebody for an hour. It's not quite in person. It's over over the internet, but I am still having a vague sort of human contact. So I'm excited. This Thursday, July 9th, 8 p.m. Eastern, Flaviar's YouTube channel. Also invite you to follow me on the Instagram and the Twitter 
at the imbiber. Send me your comments, questions, thoughts on anything. If you need to unburden your soul, I'll listen to you. I'll write you back. I promise. Speaking of writing, I, I did mention my book, uh, Living Loaded. It's one of the four books that I've written, published. I've written more. I've published four. Three were under my own byline. One was a, a book that I co-wrote, ghost-wrote, with my friend Scott Alexander, which was a, a book uh, about Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But this book that I'm talking about is Living Loaded, and in Living Loaded, I recount that Vegas story I teased earlier in the show, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you right now in honor of the trip to Vegas this week that wasn't. Now, my Vegas stories all start out pretty much the same way goes a little something like, hey Vegas, let's have a near illegal amount of fun. The endings, however, differ wildly. I could still break them into three main categories. One, heartbreak or depression. Two, detached amusement and head-scratching at the idiocy that surrounds me. Or three, complete, unmitigated disaster. Category threes tend to be less dangerous to my self-esteem than category ones, though more hazardous to my physical being. Still, they both make detached amusement sound like hitting the lotto. This next story is an example of what I like to call a Category 5, Category 3. Back in 2009, I hit the town with a high-ranking media relations executive from one of the world's largest spirits companies. For once, though, we weren't just there to drink and gamble, though that inevitably happened. We were there to enjoy the third most quintessential of Vegas activities— a boxing match. This wasn't just any boxing match. Mind you, it was a world lightweight championship fight at the MGM Grand. And we weren't just a couple of unruly assholes joining the ranks of the drunken rabble in the nosebleed section. We were a couple of unruly assholes sitting ringside in some of the most expensive seats in the house. I won't say which brand this executive, who we'll call Rob, works for, nor who the fighters were when this went down, because I really like Rob and I'm pretty sure what transpired that night is fair grounds for being fired. I, on the other hand, rarely worry about getting in trouble for getting in trouble. My corporate masters expect such recalcitrant, unprofessional behavior out of me. It's right there in my contract, between the causes regarding designated drivers and sexual harassment, which are tied into my year-end bonus. Anyway, Rob and I had spent most of the day drinking at the adults-only European-style pool at the Morea Beach Club at Mandalay Bay. What they mean by European-style is that the women are free to go topless, an invitation many of them are happy to accept after their inhibitions have been sufficiently doused in alcohol, which flows freely in the form of sugary iced concoctions that taste like a mango smoothie and kick like a mule. Now, like most men with spare time, a computer, and internet access, I probably see 24 to 25 bare breasts every day. Usually these breasts belong to strangers, all of which would lead you to think that me getting my drink on with a bunch of topless tourists in Vegas would be old hat, right? Just a typical day in the life. However, it turns out that no matter how many unclad pointer sisters a guy sees daily on the internet or in magazines, or on the internet pages of magazines he works for, boobies never cease to be fascinating. Consequently, bearing witness to bare titness in a social setting is unnerving even for the seasoned fun bag connoisseur. And this manifests itself in certain demonstrable behavior. When I see a sexy stranger in the buff in the real world, even I tend to behave like a freaking bozo. 
So when in the midst of telling me about the time she and her friends met Dave Matthews at Lollapalooza, Marie from Minnesota suddenly peeled off her bikini top in the pool at the Moria Beach Club, I was almost guaranteed to blush, stammer, sweat, fidget, laugh nervously, and have every sane thought suddenly rush out of my head, which I did. Unfortunately, my difficulty in finding something to say in the next ten seconds was compounded by the fact that in the short time we'd been chatting, all I'd managed to gather about Marie was that she likes lame music, drinks vodka sodas with a splash of cranberry, and teaches math to second graders in St. Paul. Everything else about her, including her motivation for flipping out her floppers right there in front of me at that particular moment, especially that actually, was a tantalizing mystery. My mind raced at the possibilities. So to deal with all this confusion, I did what any guy hanging out in a Vegas pool, topless math teacher would do. I drank heavily. Anyway, all of this goes to explain why, by the time Rob and I arrived at the MGM Grand that night for the fight, we were only slightly less pickled than the sandwich menu at Jerry's Famous Deli. We knew little about either of the fighters vying for the championship belt, but that didn't stop us from waging serious bank on the outcome. I even promised Marie from Minnesota I'd bet a few hundred on her behalf, and, gentleman that I am, covered the nut myself. The fighter we randomly chose to hitch our financial fortunes to hailed from Cuba. And wouldn't you know, they happened to be selling cheap nylon reproductions of the Cuban flag at concession stands in the MGM lobby. So we had to have one. Duh. That turned out to be our first mistake. When we arrived at our seats, the first two things I noticed were attached to a voluptuous young platinum blonde seated in the row in front of us. Okay, so we weren't literally ringside, but we were close enough. Where had she been all my life, I wondered aloud. This got her attention. She was alone and seemed bored, frankly. So we struck up a conversation. Mistake number two. What brings you here, I said coyly, or at least drunkenly with intent to be coy. I'm here with some guy, she replied matter-of-factly. Some guy, huh? I said. Boyfriend? Co-worker? Brother? Just a guy, she said, popping her gum. I don't know him. Because I was drunk and more than a little woozy from overexposure to the sun and bare stranger breasts, it took a while for it to register why a gorgeous gal like that would be sitting ringside at a championship bout with a total stranger in Las Vegas. She's a real looker, Rob whispered in my ear. Or it might have been, she's a real hooker. Either way, he was correct. I then determined it would be a good idea to sidle up next to the lovely young working girl to get a better feel for our romantic prospects. It was not. A good idea, that is. On the contrary, it was my third mistake. Nice flag, she said. What country is it from? Cuba, I replied. That's in South America, right? Yes, it is, I answered. Close enough. The blonde's date arrived less than a minute after that first fight on the undercard began. He was dressed entirely in black and looked like Michael Clark Duncan in the Green Mile, only significantly larger and more menacing. I should have put my money on him instead of that joker from Cuba. You mind moving over? He glared at me. Oh, sorry, we were just talking. My seat is right there in the row behind. Why don't you get the fuck back there, then, he said, snarling. Not a good sign, this snarling business. Nor did I feel very good about the fact that he was wearing an all-access badge. So not only was he a very large, angry man, in all likelihood he was a made man as well. Using my vaunted powers of deliberation, I instantly determined the best course of action was to keep my mouth shut and to do what he said. 
But before I did so, I couldn't resist putting one last nail in my coffin. I winked at the blonde. The big mofo saw it too, shot me a ferocious look, letting me know that imminent death or dismemberment was a distinct possibility. But at that point, I wasn't too worried. Though it was clear he could easily and irreversibly rearrange my facial features in a matter of seconds, odds were he wouldn't dare do so in front of thousands of witnesses in a date he'd obviously spent a pretty penny on. Rob and I stepped outside for a smoke after the first fight. This proved to be mistake number... Uh, what are we up to? Four? Five? <sighs> because as fate would have it, the blonde bombshell was out there all by her lonesome and in search of a light. No sooner had Rob flicked his bick for her than Big Mofo came storming out the door. He grabbed her by the arm, pulled her away from us, and dressed her down something awful in full view of at least 50 future lung cancer victims. Then came the glare, directed at us again. Only this time, he followed it up with a fiendish grin. What was that all about, I said. What, Rob replied. That fiendish grin, I said. It looked like he had something stuck in his teeth. Yeah, like someone's head, perhaps, I said. Anyhow, back inside, the main event was about to begin. Big Mofo and the Blonde had moved even closer to the action, further proof that he was a big swinging dick in this town. Multiple sets of ringside seats aren't easy to come by at sold-out championship bouts. At the end of round one, Big Mofo got up and lumbered menacingly in our direction. Instead of accosting us, however, he sat down nearby next to a female security guard who looked to be in her 50s. They both watched us intently as he whispered something in her ear, and she nodded. I pretended not to notice. Rob didn't have to pretend. He was lost in the booze and blood. When Big Mofo returned to his seat after one final death stare in our direction, the security guard dutifully got up, strode over to our section, and sat down in a chair directly across the aisle, a scant three feet away. As she fixed her penetrating gaze upon us, I got that prescient feeling... I so often get in such hostile situations, involving lots of booze and a very large man whose, quote, date I've evidently tried to hit on. Things were about to break bad. Still, I pretended not to notice that the guard was staring at me like a lioness crouched in the weeds, eyeing a herd of delicious lunch meat. Hey, I could take her. Proved just how blissfully unconcerned I was about the security guard's presence, I jumped up, waved my Cuban flag, and shouted some encouraging words to the pugilist upon whom I wagered next month's rent money. Stop waving that flag, she barked. Suddenly she was standing over me, practically foaming at the mouth. Why can't I wave my flag, I asked. Look, they're all waving their flags, I said gesturing out at the crowd, where literally hundreds of other fans were doing just that. You're bothering the people in front of you, she snapped. Am I bothering you, man? I asked the young dude sitting directly in front of me. Shook his head no, but the security guard was unmoved. Don't wave that flag again, she warned. Then she returned to her chair and resumed her icy stare routine. That's when I started to get angry. Why was I being singled out? Everyone else in that damn arena got to wave flags without being scolded like a restless first grader at nap time. Was it something about Cuba? Cold war is over, lady, I felt like screaming at her. But I didn't, because I knew the reason she was really riding us. I was now sitting a few rows away next to a hooker. A hooker I just minutes ago hit on. But hey, it was a free country, wasn't it? This wasn't, say, Cuba, for Christ's sakes. Boy, I was getting angry. And it was drunk angry, too. That's the worst kind. At the conclusion of the fifth round, I looked over at the security guard and demanded, You don't like me, do you? Without hesitation, she said no. 
I don't like you at all. I smiled mischievously, then I turned my attention back to the bloody action inside the ring. Excuse me, I said to her at the end of the sixth, and for us at least, final round. Can I ask you something? She said nothing, just stared at me dispassionately. We're guests here, sitting very expensive seats, trying to enjoy this fight that we flew a long way to see. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why the hell you felt entitled to sully the experience by insulting me with an unprovoked assault on my character. Can you explain this to me, please, miss? Okay, that's it, she said. She marched off, and a moment later, two male security guards, significantly larger than her in stature, and two Las Vegas, quote, peace officers with billy clubs were standing over us, looking anything but peaceful. Let's go, gentlemen. You're out of here, said one of the guards. Rob suddenly snapped out of his booze-induced stupor. What the fuck, he yelled. That's when one of the cops grabbed him by the arm and hoisted him out of his seat. Let's go. Now. Once we were out in the hall, we demanded an explanation. A member of our security team witnessed you throwing an ice cube at another guest, the guard explained. An ice cube? Bullshit! I don't even have a drink. So where did I get the ice? And shockingly, this was true. I didn't have a drink. Neither of us did. At a boxing match in Vegas. I think we've uncovered the real injustice here. That security guard said I did it, right? Where is she? Where she is is none of your business, the guard said. All you need to know is that you're leaving the MGM Grand now, one way or another. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with the uh, rest of the story. You know, we got to pay the bills here. Got to pay the bills. Hey, all. Being on lockdown these past few months has been tough on all of us. Something I've found to be extremely helpful in maintaining my sanity during this challenging time is sticking to daily routines. Maintaining a sense of structure can help prevent you from feeling overwhelmed, and I highly recommend you keep doing the little things you used to do on the regular in the pre-COVID era, like shaving, for instance. Unfortunately, Harry's is here to help you look your best while saving you a little cash along the way. Yes, Harry's has your grooming needs covered, with high-quality blades as low as $2 each, delivered straight to your doorstep. Cut out the middleman, manufacturing blades in a German factory that's been honing the craft for a century, which means you get incredibly high-quality blades at factory direct prices. And during this trying time, you'll feel a little better about your purchase. Not only is Harry's donating 1% of proceeds to nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans, they're also giving $1 million worth of shaving supplies to hospitals across the U.S. That's what I call good karma for you and Harry's. What we're drinking listeners can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash drinking. That's harrys.com slash drinking. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. So go to harrys.com slash drinking to start shaving better today. So where were we? Oh, that's right. About to be kicked out of the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. So we're standing there with the security guards and the cops, and we just said that we were leaving one way or another, and, and then Rob decided to shout, Do you know who the fuck we are? I winced. Look, no matter who you think you are, why you feel it might possibly matter, it is never a good idea to pose that question to anyone at any time. Even the most out-of-control, arrogant, self-absorbed celebrities know this. Asking someone you clearly deem beneath you whether they know who the fuck you are is like asking for permission to take a dump on their head. It's just not going to garner a favorable reply. 
We're with the fight's biggest sponsor, Rob shrieked. Without us, there wouldn't be any fucking fight. Which I suppose is true if you think about it in the metaphysical tree-falls-in-the-forest kind of way, but Rob had forgotten the first law of Vegas. The house always wins. Doesn't matter who you are, the house does not want you to win. You do not win. Case in point, our guy, the guy with my money in his shorts, got knocked out cold in the ninth round. At this point, it was clear we'd run afoul of Sin City's karmic overlords. As the cops loomed above us with expressions of consternation, I could only interpret his indecision over whether to incarcerate us, beat us silly, or both. Next thing we knew, we were against the wall, being searched by a gang of thugs in a small windowless chamber somewhere in the bowels of the MGM Grand. And let's just say they were thorough. Hell, I'll never associate the word cavity with dentistry again. Then the leader of the thugs rammed a gun into Rob's mouth and glared at me. What's the smallest country in the world, he barked. Huh? I stammered, shooting a panicky look at Rob, whose eyes were suddenly wider than a two-time divorcee's ass on a singles cruise. Name the fucking smallest country in the world or I'm pulling this fucking trigger, fuckface, the thug raged. What? Are you serious, man? And guess who's digging the fucking grave out in the desert, he said and snarled. He looked possessed, barking, raging, snarling, mad. Five, four, three. Wait, stop, I implored him. We're just waving a flag and flirting with a hooker, for Christ's sakes. Two, one, Monaco! I pulled out of the air. And with that, the thug turned and looked at me with appeared to be high regard and eased his finger off the trigger. I couldn't believe it. I'd done it. I'd saved Rob's life. It was a miracle. I mean, Monaco? Where'd that come from? I barely passed geography in high school. Clearly, it was divine intervention, though Lord knows, excuse me, the good and most gracious Lord knows. I'd done nothing to deserve such a blessing. Rob was sweating like the late Robin Williams in a sauna, and from the stains on his pants and the stench in the room, I gathered he pissed and shit himself. But even with the business end of what appeared to be a Walther P99 semi-automatic pistol still in his mouth, I could tell he was smiling the most grateful smile ever. It dawned on me at that moment that I would never have to spend another dime on bottled booze again. Wait a minute, one of the other thugs chimed in, browsing the internet on his iPhone. This says Monaco is the second smallest country, behind Vatican City. Oh, that's right, said the lead thug. Forgot about the Pope's place. Then he blew Rob's head off. And let me tell you, digging that grave in 100-degree heat damn near killed me, too. All right, not really. Truth is, after getting muscled out of the arena, we avoided any serious trouble. Saved, as I have been in more situations than I'd like to admit, by strategic deployment of my Playboy business card and a fraudulent invitation to the next Midsummer Night's Dreams party at the mansion, which I have never attended, nor probably will I ever. But we weren't totally out of the woods yet. As we trudged tails between our legs down Las Vegas Boulevard, Rob finally sober enough to intuit that getting forcibly removed from a very public venue while he was, technically speaking, on the clock wasn't necessarily the best career move. So he got on the phone with his company's regional sales director to attempt some damage control. But the more time that passed between Rob and his last cocktail, the more determined he became to exculpate himself from the mess at the fight. I'd given him permission to throw me under the bus in the event it became necessary to save himself, but to his great credit, he dismissed that idea outright. In the end, it wouldn't matter. We didn't get our faces bashed in by MGM security, nor were we gang-raped by Clark County Jail inmates. Rob didn't even get fired. 
Nobody at MGM really wanted to make any more trouble for us. We were tourists in Vegas, for Christ's sake. The city's survival depends upon our fucking up, and forgiveness is what keeps the roulette wheels spinning. Cuban flag? What Cuban flag? Come on in and try your hand at pie gal. Plus, Rob works for a liquor company. His betters understand only too well what their product is designed to do. They sponsor boxing matches, for Christ's sakes. It's unclear whether his boss bought his vehement declarations of unaccountability or just didn't give a shit, knowing this kind of thing comes with the territory. If your job is to be constantly surrounded by drunk, rowdy people, then hey, you're going to be one of them yourself from time to time. At least that's the line I use to get out of trouble on a regular basis. Personally, I chalked the whole incident up to something Larry, a Vegas cabbie I know, once told me. He said, quote, One thing's for sure about Vegas. When you come visit, you're going to get fucked before you leave. One way or another, you will get fucked. Sometimes you get fucked good, sometimes you get fucked bad. You might get ass fucked, or mouth fucked, or wallet fucked. You'll probably get fucked up, too. The one constant is the fucking. That always happens here no matter what. So the key to enjoying Vegas is you gotta like getting fucked. And you should always carry rubbers, too. End quote. He's a font of wisdom. That Larry. Now let's, uh, let's take one more quick break. And then after this quick break, I'm going to tell you about some new booze you should be drinking. What do we have here? Ah, yes, Mack Weldon. Oh, how I love me some Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. You probably heard about their industry-leading underwear. Hell, I'm wearing a pair right now. There's so much more than just an underwear company. They really are one-stop shop for men's basics of all kinds. From socks to shirts to hoodies to their new adjustable Storm Chaser rain jacket, Mack Weldon's wares really are the longest-lasting, highest-quality items on the market. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I went to MacWeldon.com recently ordered a whole bunch of stuff. Took me 10 minutes and now I'm rocking a killer new Basics wardrobe. I got some 18-hour Jersey Crew neck undershirts, a couple of pairs of Ace sweatshorts, and no-show socks. And Mack Weldon really does value its loyal customers. That's why they've created the Weldon Blue Loyalty Program. Here's how it works. Create an account. It's totally free. Level 1, place an order for any amount and never pay for shipping again. Level 2, once you purchase $200 worth of products from Mack Weldon, not only will you continue to receive free shipping, but you will also start saving 20% on every order you make for the next year. Oh, and Level 2 also grants you access to new products before they're released to anyone else, as well as free gifts added to future orders. And now, Mack Weldon has a special offer for you, What We're Drinking listeners. For 20% off a first order, your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code DRINKING. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it, and they'll still refund you no questions asked. Mack Weldon's mission is simple, to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and that shopping for them is easy and convenient. And I personally promise you this, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. As promised, I got some new products to tell you about. Stuff to drink while you're at home or social distancing or doing whatever it is you're doing to get through this. First product is, uh, you're going to laugh at me here. Shoddy's 
party-ready gelatin shots, okay? Yes, yes, yes. I was skeptical, too, when they reached out to me and offered to send me some. And then I got them, and I got to admit, I kind of dig in the shotties, all right? It comes in this big cooler bag. It's got 24 shots in it. So the cooler bag, you just add ice and water to it. You can just take it with you wherever you're going. So 24 shots, four different flavors. They're 25 proof, so 12.5% alcohol by volume in each shot of it. They're made in the USA. They're recyclable, recyclable. I can't even say the word. I've had some, I've had some shotties. Uh, but I got to say, I, I like them. I like them. The flavor, you know, the different flavors. They got five of them, I guess. They got strawberry, lemon, lime, lime, orange, and blue raspberry all delicious. Again, I told you about the uh, alcohol, 25 proof. It's, uh, it's about two ounces, about two ounces out. It's like doing a shot. And maybe that's why they call them shotties. Do you, I, the thing is getting them out of there. You know, I, I, you can squeeze the cups and just kind of suck them out of there. You can use your finger, get them out of there. They'll ship them, uh, directly. They don't have a way to ship them directly to you, but you can go to their at shotties on IG and Instagram. They're at shotties. That's H S-H-O-T-T-Y-S, and they'll tell you how you can, how you can get them. And uh, I guess the only other question would be, like, why, you know, why do that when you make your own? Because it's just easier. It's easier to just order them. So, duh. What else? Oh, yeah, we got uh, bourbon. Uh, Woodenville. I really like Woodenville. It's uh, their, their flagship bourbon whiskey. Just won double gold medal and the title of Best Straight Bourbon Whiskey of 2020 at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Guess who's a judge at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition? Do you know who it is? Yeah, I know, me. Uh, although I didn't do it this year because, because of the COVID. So uh, they did win that, and it's a really good whiskey, especially for $40. It's a, Woodenville's a craft distillery up in, in, in Washington, northern Washington area. They, two guys, uh, lifelong friends, uh, started it, and they were mentored by the late Dave Pickerel. My old buddy Dave Pickerel used to be the master distiller for Maker's Mark and Blackened, Whistle Pig. So uh, Woodenville is Washington State's largest craft distillery, and all of its products are uh, 100% locally sourced. It's all Washington stuff that goes in. And this whiskey itself, I just it smells like creme brulee, and there's a spice on it. And then the, when you taste it, you got some rich caramel, dark chocolate, and vanilla bean. It's got a nice, sweet, lingering finish. I really do love the whiskey. If you want more information, go to WoodenvilleWhiskeyCo.com. WoodenvilleWhiskeyCo.com. Um, what else? Oh, a couple of wines. Yeah, I, I, it was some wine that's good for, you know, Grilling stuff that's uh, dishes that come straight off the grill. So there are two that I want to tell you about that I just tried that are absolutely delicious. Boyo Vineyard 2017 Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. BV, of course, is one of the most famous wineries in Napa, and they never they they never disappoint me. They have never disappointed me. This particular, again, this 2017 Napa Valley Cab, it's got some blackberry, bing cherry, ripe plum flavors, mocha and chocolate, spice, cinnamon, nutmeg. Are you getting it? Are you getting what I'm getting, what I'm selling you here? There's a lot of good stuff. There's a mouth-watering finish to this wine. I just love it, and it's, it's just a great wine. It'll stand up against steaks and ribs and pork chops that are coming fresh off the grill. It really is something, and I think you should check it out. Another one, if you want to go with some white wine, let's go with another famous winery from up there, Stag's Leap. 
their 2018 Napa Valley Chardonnay, which is $32 a bottle. You're going to get aromas of Meyer lemon and lime zest on it, peaches, the honeysuckle. It's, oh, it's so good on the palate. There's lemon meringue, guava, green apple, Asian pear. And then you get some vanilla and caramel oak in there. You're, you know, it's a Napa Chardonnay. You're going to get a little bit of that oak flavor in there. And it's got extraordinary length, depth on the finish. It's a big, round, full-body, bright wine that is fresh and would be perfect with some chicken or salmon. Um, oh, and here comes a plane to pick me up. That sounds like my plane coming to get me. I live by an airport, by the way. If you're listening to the show and you hear planes, that's why. We used to do it in studios and other places, but I'm trapped here. I can't get out. But I'm going to get out of this episode of the show. Again, I invite you to follow me on the... Hold on. Let me bring that down a little bit. There we go. That's some... I invite you to follow me on the Instagram, at the Imbiber. I thank you for joining me. We'll be back in a couple of days with another new episode. I can't wait.